Hello and welcome to the podcast at Chesapeake Baptist Church. We've had vacation Bible school this week, so I'm a little late on posting the podcast. This is our final message in our series on the life of David entitled Encouraged, where we go through the book of Psalms, every psalm that has a superscript. And the title of the message this morning is The Wilderness. Please enjoy. While they're heading out, turn to number, uh, turn to Psalm 63 in your Bible. Psalm 63 this morning. And this will be our final message in the series Encouraged in the Lord. And I've enjoyed the series so far. And this will be our final message in that series. Psalms number 63. You have your places in Psalms 63. One last time, I'm going to invite you to stand in respect and reverence to the Word of God. Begin reading in verse number one of Psalm 63. We're going to read all 11 verses. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in in the sanctuary. Because the loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness, my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee, and thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall speak glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Title of the message this morning is The Wilderness. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, once again we come to you and beg you for your power. We beg you to open our hearts and minds to receive the word of God that you have for us today. Holy Spirit, fill us today. Feed us today with the word of God. May we leave this building full of this power and spirit of God. Lord, I pray that you'd be with our morning service. For as this in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I absolutely love survival shows, and this is something that you guys already know about me. I love survival shows. Whether it's Survivor Man, Man vs. Wild, Dual Survival, I love survival shows. Now they got these new shows on, Naked and Afraid. I don't watch those for obvious reasons. But um, 
but I love survival shows and I could watch these shows for hours. You could put those shows on repeat and I would just watch them over and over. Stuff like that just, it fascinates me. But one thing I will admit that these shows do is give you a false sense that you could do what they do. Many times I've tried to take the skills I've learned in an hour-long TV show on the Discovery Channel and apply them to actual surviving in the woods. And it doesn't always turn out the way it does in the show. And a friction fire is not that easy. And uh, many times uh, I have uh, didn't sur survive, I didn't survive the night with those skills. I got to have, you know, I'll put a tent up, yeah, but then that tent's got to have a, a surge protector and a TV and a VCR and a box fan, you know. So, you know, uh, so uh, I didn't make it through the night, but, but the point is, is that the wilderness is not fun. The wilderness is an unforgiving place. The wilderness doesn't care about you. The wilderness isn't out to get you, but it's not out to hurt. It's not out to help you either. The wilderness doesn't care whether you're there or not. The wilderness is not a fun place. You know, back when, when David was running from Saul, he would stay in caves. Now, a cave is not the Hilton, but a cave is still better than the wilderness. A cave is still better than the wilderness. A wilderness is unforgiving. In verse 11 of this verse, it points out that David is a king at this point. So because he is a king and the fact that he is in the wilderness of Judah, it pinpoints where in David's life this psalm took place and where he wrote this psalm. And where he wrote this psalm was when he was fleeing from his son, Absalom. Now, it's very hard to watch an old man in the wilderness. This is the time in David's life when he should be taking it easy. This is the time in David's life where he should be reaping the benefits of living a life that's honored God. He should be taking it easy and reaping those, those, those uh, benefits, but instead... He finds himself in the wilderness. Let me tell you where the, what, what the wilderness is, was like for David. The wilderness was a place of heartbreak. The wilderness was a place of loneliness. The wilderness was a place of bitterness for David. And that's what the wilderness is for me and you. The wilderness is a place of heartache. The wilderness is a place of loneliness. The wilderness is a place of sorrow, a place of pain, a place of bitterness. That's what the spiritual wilderness is for me and you. Now, I want you to see that when David was in the wilderness, <coughs> he was a well-seasoned, mature Christian. He had, was smack dab in the middle of the will of God. And then all of a sudden, the circumstance came along in his life and chased him into the wilderness. That means it doesn't matter how mature of a Christian you are, how long you've been saved, how long you've been reading your Bible, how long you've been going to church. At any given time, me or you can find ourselves in the wilderness of life. 
we can find ourselves in a place of heartache and we can find ourselves in the place of loneliness and we can find ourselves in the place of bitterness, of pain and sorrow. We can find ourselves in the wilderness of life at any time in our Christian life, no matter how mature we may have been. Now, some people, when they talk about the... got an itch, sorry. Some people, when they talk about the children of Israel in the wilderness, they like to make this analogy. The analogy is Egypt is the world. The Red Sea is salvation. Get it? Red Sea blood. Red Sea is salvation. The wilderness is the world that we live in. The River Jordan is death. And the promised land is heaven. And while I don't think that's a bad analogy, I don't think that was the intended analogy. I like to look at it like this. Egypt is the world. The Red Sea is salvation. The wilderness is the unsurrendered Christian life. Because I want you to see they didn't have to be in the wilderness. They could have went straight to the promised land. But they, did, they went in the wilderness because they didn't surrender to God's will. So the wilderness is the unsurrendered Christian life. The River Jordan is the place in your life where you surrender to God's will. And the promised land was the VCL, victorious Christian life. I do not believe that you have to, me and you, have to wait till we get to heaven to experience God's promises. I don't have to wait to get to heaven for that. I can experience God's promises here on this earth. I don't have to wait for the streets of glory. So I can experience the promised land here today in this life. I don't have to wait till I get to heaven. So with this in mind, so here we are. We're surrendered to God's will just like David was. We're surrendered to God's will. We're smack dab in the middle of what God is wanting us to do with our lives. And then a situation happens. A circumstance happens. Something happens in our life that knocks us out back into the wilderness. Something that chases us into the wilderness of life. You know, it's almost painful to hear a broken man cry out to God in the wilderness. What did he say? He said, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee. You know, when, when David was in the cave, he knew the outcome was right around the corner. I mean, he was either going to live or he was either going to die, but he was soon about to find out the wilderness, however, does not have any borders. The wilderness does not have any defined areas. The wilderness stretches as far as the eye can see. Because that's, that's, that's part of being the wilderness. A person who finds themselves in the wilderness of life sees no end to it. A person who finds themselves in the wilderness of life, they wonder if they will ever see relief of their pain. They wonder if they will ever see a time when they're relieved from their sorrow. 
They wonder if they will ever see a time when they're relieved from their loneliness, a time where they're relieved from their pain, a time where they're relieved from their sorrow. They yearn for that. They wonder, will I ever see an end to it? That's what the spiritual wilderness is in your life. We can be on top of the mountain and smack dab in the middle of the will of God. Something can come along and knock us in the head, chase us back in the wilderness. And one day we look around and we say, what, where am I? I'm not where I once was. This isn't where I want to be. How do I get out of here? What's the end to it? How do all I feel is pain and sorrow and bitterness and loneliness and heartache. How do I get out of this wilderness? So once again, one last time, David, we're going to ask you to help us out. One last time, God, we're going to ask you through David to help us out. What do we do when we find ourselves in the wilderness of life? How do we survive the desolate wastelands when we thirst after God? Is there any hope for a Christian who's parched on the inside and on the outside? whose soul and flesh are yearning for the fellowship of days that seem like they're gone forever. What do we do when all we want is a refreshing drink from springs of living water only to discover that there is no water? How do we encourage ourselves in the Lord when we find ourselves in the wilderness of life? One last time, Christian is the reason why Psalm 63 is in the Bible. Point number one, I want to show you the soul thirsting. The soul thirsting. Let's read verse number one in this psalm. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Look back at that first phrase in that verse. O God, thou art my God. Now, these two words, these two God words are not the same word. The first God in that verse is the word Elohim. Elohim is a plural form of the word of God. And while Elohim can be used for other, referring to other gods, most of the time when you see Elohim in the Bible, it's referring to the God of the Bible. So that first word Elohim is referring to the God of the Bible. But the second word God there, where it says, O God, thou art my God, that second God is the word El, E-L. E-L is the singular form. And most of the time in the word of God, when somebody calls God by L, when they E-L, when they call God by L, they're focusing in on one particular attribute of God. They're focusing in on one particular attribute of God. And most of the time when people say the word L in referring to God, what they're referring to is the God of strength. They're saying, God of strength, I'm focusing in on your strength. So when, what David is saying here is he's basically saying, Oh, God of the Bible, thou art my God of strength. That's what he's saying. 
You know, David realized where his strength came from. David realized where his strength came from and his strength comes from God. David knows that in the wilderness he's going to need strength now more than ever and he recognizes the source of his strength and that source is God. He says, early will I seek thee. We all know that God seeks, we all know that that David sought God early in the morning. We see that from other portions of Scripture that David spent his time with God in the mornings. But, but more importantly than that, I want you to see that David went to God first. He didn't try to find another way out of the wilderness and then go to God. David went to God first. He needed strength. He knew where to get it. He did not hesitate to go to the source first. You see, David knew that strength wouldn't come from a psychologist. It would come from God. David knew that strength wouldn't come from a self-help book. It would come from God. David knew that self wouldn't, that help wouldn't come from a prescription bottle. It would come from God. David knew that his strength, he couldn't draw strength from Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. He drew his strength from God because that was the source. Then he says in the verse, my soul thirsteth for thee. This is the first time David refers to his own condition in this psalm. So what that means is David's first clue that he was in the wilderness was his thirst. His thirst was the first thing that clued him in that he was in the wilderness. Now, that's not to say that when you're on top of the mount and you're in the middle of the will of God and you're in the victorious Christian life that you're not going to thirst after God. Of course, that's healthy. We're all going to thirst after God. That's a, that's a, I'm not talking about a daily routine thirst. What I'm talking about is, um, have you ever been working so hard? And I've done this so many times. I'd be at the shop and I'd be working really hard, really focused on what I'm doing. I've got a line of cars lined up to Delaware Avenue. I'm trying to get them in and get them out. And then all of a sudden I look around and I am just dying of thirst. And all this work and all this heat, I have been so focused on my job and so focused on what's going on around me that I forgot to drink any water. And I am just dying of thirst. My sister, when she was down visiting, she wanted an authentic New Orleans experience. So what I did is I, we woke up one morning, I took her to the city park in New Orleans, and we had beignets and chicory coffee and uh, ate that in the park at the cafe there. And we walked around the botanical gardens, and then I took her down to the French market, and she wanted to go shopping. So we went to the French market, and we walked up and down Decatur Street, and we saw all the shops, and they bought, they bought T-shirts, and they bought hats, and we went into the little hot sauce shop there, the Pepper Palace, and we tasted all the hot sauces, and she wanted a, a New Orleans po' boy with real French bread. And so I took her place where she could have that. And we had some shrimp po' boys. And we had some fried green tomatoes and with rum a lot on it. And man, it was good stuff. So, when, you know, so then it was time to go. You know, when you're walking around Decatur Street out in the heat in mid-July, it's, it's hot. It's hot. You're going to get thirsty. 
I was so focused on what I was doing, I forgot to drink any water. And so I, we get in the van, and we're going through traffic, and we get on the interstate, and I'm smack dab in the middle of rush hour traffic with no exits left, and the thirst hits me. A thirst overcome me that if I don't get any water right now, I'm going to die. I am so incredibly thirsty. I'm on the bridge going over Lake Pontchartrain. I'm, there's no place. I'm not going to drink that water. Or, there's no place I can go. And I said something that you probably, most people don't ever hear people say. I said, man, I can't wait to get to Laplace. Most people don't say that, but man, I can't wait to get to Laplace. And man, I pulled into Laplace and I zoomed into a gas station. I bought about 10 bottles of water for the van. Two of them one for, was for me. I slammed the first one and I was halfway through the second one before I come up for breath. That's how thirsty I was. The thirst had just overcome me. When you are in a spiritual wilderness, you're going to start to notice Man, I'm not where I once was spiritually. Man, I don't have the fellowship with God that I once had. I'm backslidden just a little bit. I'm, I've been so focused on my heartache and so focused on my pain and so focused on my sorrow that I've allowed myself to get put in this spiritual wilderness. Now I want what I had back. I want the relationship with God that I once had before. I want the fellowship with God that I once had before. Your thirst is going to be the first clue that you're in a spiritual wilderness. You thirst for a closeness of God to get back what you once had, what's now missing, and you want it back. The verse continues, My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. When you are in the wilderness, it feels like you're in a parched desert. Now, this is a warning. When we get to this point, we need to be careful. This is the place where you faint. This is the place in our Christian life where we grow weary. This is the point in our Christian life where we give up. It's right here. Someone can stay in an actual desert for so long that they just give up. I don't see an end to it. I might as well lay down and die. And they just give up. And so many Christians, they on fire for God. They get saved. They start coming to church. And then something happens to them. They get put in this spiritual wilderness. Instead of fighting, they give up and they quit. They put their Bible down. They don't come to church for a while. They quit praying and they give up on God. This is the point in our lives where we're tempted to quit. This is the point in a spiritual wilderness where we go weary and where we faint. But that's all I want you to notice that it's important that even in the wilderness, I want you to see that David didn't stop singing and David didn't stop praying. Now, it's true that his songs sounded much differently. His songs and his prayers sounded differently than when he was in the sanctuary versus from when he was in the wilderness, but he still sang and he still prayed. Nonetheless, when you're trudging through the desert sands of life, oftentimes the last thing we want to do is pray. Oftentimes the last thing we want to do is sing. 
Yet these hours were such were uh, these hours were such a, a walk with God can be even more crucial. It's so crucial that at this point in your life you have a walk with God. Look, you we can't stop living for Christ just because life throws us a curveball. Just because life throws us a curveball doesn't mean it's time for us to stop living for Christ. We still must have a walk. David realized that even in the wilderness that God was the God of power and God was the God of glory. He said even even his loving kindness is better than life. That means that if it came down between, if it came down to a choice between David's own life and a friendship with God, that he would choose the friendship with God. That he would sacrifice his own life because David knows without the favor of God, you have no life anyway. Without the favor of God, you have no life anyway. This is the attitude that we must have if we want to be restored. If we want to be restored to that mountaintop, we want to get that relationship back with God that we lost. We want to get that feeling back. We want to get that favor back. This is the attitude that we must have. That that feeling, that that relationship with God is more important than anything I've got going on in my life. I will sacrifice everything in my life if it means I can have that relationship back. We don't know how long the wilderness will last, but we have to be cautious while we're there. In the wilderness, your soul will thirst after God. You will thirst for a closeness that you've had in the past and you want it back. If you ignore that thirst, then in the wilderness, you will stay. You won't get out. You'll quit. You'll give up. You'll throw your hands up and you'll go to the house. And on Sunday mornings, instead of coming to church, you'll watch football. Instead of reading your Bible, you'll do something else. You'll catch a couple extra hours of sleep. You'll turn on the TV. You'll give up. You'll give up. But if you don't give up, if you satisfy that thirst, that brings me to point number two, the soul satisfied. The soul satisfied. Let's look at verse number five. My soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness. So first, our souls were thirsty. Now, not only is that thirst gone, but now our hunger is even satisfied. You know, when it says marrow and fatness, you know what that reminds me of? Reminds me of some ribs, good pork ribs. I tell you what, my stepmother, she made some good ribs on the 4th. She bought some racks and she rubbed them down one night. And the next night, she put them in a smoker for a couple hours. Then she put them on the grill, got a char on the outside. Then she finished them off in a slow cooker. They literally fell off the bone. Love me some ribs. We cooked a lot of them. We brought them to the shop and we ate on those ribs all week long. It was a good week. But, you know, it's funny what he's saying is that even in the wilderness that my thirst can be quenched, even in the wilderness I can be full. Y'all remember the Taco Bell commercial? He says, you can't get full off of a value menu. 
And then he walks into Taco Bell and he comes out, I'm full. Well, that's what you can be. You can be full in the wilderness. How is this possible? How can you be satisfied in the desert? How can you be close to God when things are going so wrong in your life? How can you be close to God? The Bible says, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Let me tell you how. I'm fixing to tell you the key to surviving the wilderness. The key to surviving that time in your life where you're experiencing pain, sorrow, loneliness, heartache, where you've backslidden from God, you want to get back to where you've been, but you're in a spiritual wilderness. Here's the key. Here it is. Your personal devotions. Your personal quiet time with God. That's the key to it. Walk what David is saying here. What David is saying in this verse is, He's describing two different situations he would find himself on any given night. The first situation he finds himself in is at night just before he goes to sleep. At night just before he goes to sleep, you know what he does? He meditates on God. He remembers God. He fills himself with the word of God. The next situation that he finds himself in on any given night, if he's not in the bed about to go to sleep, he's outside the camp on his turn for night watch. When they were in the wilderness, even the king had to stand up at night and watch for the enemy. So David is saying at night when it's his turn to keep watch and he's up at night and he's watching for the camp and he's on guard, it's those hours he spent in meditation. It's those hours he spent with God. You know, I had a third shift job in college. And what the job was is I was security guard over an abandoned warehouse. And... I was literally there just to keep people from dumping trash on the property. And the hours were from 12 a.m. to 7 a.m. And this was a rare thing. This was a sleep post. I'd actually go there. I could sleep. And they had a couch in the guard shack and there was a little TV. And, you know, we didn't have TV in the dorm. So I'd get there early. I'd get there at like 9 o'clock. And the dude that I relieved loved me. Because, you know, he got paid to 12, but when I got there at 9, he could leave. So he loved me to death. But I didn't have anything to do. I'd go there and watch TV. And so, you know, getting paid $9 an hour to, to sleep on a couch in an abandoned warehouse, this is not too bad. But you know what? I wish I could say. I wish I could say this. I wish I could say I spent most of that time spending time with God. But I can't tell you that. It would be a lie. Now, I did spend on a few occasions time with, with God there at that job, but most of the time I just watched TV and slept. It's a regret of mine. I regretted it after I left that job. And the next time I got a post where I was just sitting at a desk, I brought my Bible and I got in it. And I'd check the truckers in and I'd get back to studying my Bible because I didn't want to waste time that God had given to me like I wasted in the past. Meditation is a fascinating concept when it comes to the Bible. You know, most religions teach you 
to have a time of meditation where you clear your thoughts and you clear your mind, the Bible teaches the opposite. The Bible says when you meditate, don't clear your mind. When you meditate, fill it with the word of God. That's what meditation means in the Bible. Don't just hum and clear your mind out. No. He wants us to fill our minds with the word of God. So David is meditating. And these wee hours before he goes to bed and when he has guard up in the middle of the night, he's meditating on God. What has he learned in his meditations? Next verse. But thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. That's what he learned. He learned thou hast been my help. David reflected. He reflected on his past and he remembered all the answered prayers he's had in his life. He remembered all the times that God had provided when he asked him. And sometimes God will provide when you don't even have time to ask. He'll go ahead and meet the need. He remembered all those facts. And all those facts drew David to one conclusion. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. The conclusion that David came to in his meditations with God is that he is protected. Like a little chick under the wing of mother hen, he is safe and protected. Even in the wilderness, he can feel safe. Even in the wilderness, he can feel protected. In the wilderness with wild beasts, no water and no discernible shelter, David could feel, feel safe and protected. Now, before we move on to our last point, I want to point something out that I've noticed up to now in this psalm. David's seeking, we see in the beginning of the psalm that David is seeking God early in the morning. That's something we already knew David did. We know from other passages of scripture that was when David had his personal devotions. That's when David had his quiet time with God was early in the morning. But I want you to see that now that David's in the wilderness, now that he's going through a rough patch in his life, He's spending, God, spending time with God at night too. David is doubling down on his time with God. He's doubling down. Here's what people like to do. They find themselves in an earth-shattering, life-changing situation, and they forget about God, and they drift away from him, from him. That's the point of this message. But once they, that thirst kicks in and they realize they've backslidden, instead of doubling down on God, here's what they say. Well, I don't have time for that stuff. I've got a lot on my mind. I don't have time for church. I don't have time for prayer. I don't have time for the Bible. I've got so much, I'm going through so much right now, I just don't have time for it. Or they, they like to say this, and I've heard this a lot. You know what? I'd come to church, but I'm not in a good place right now, and I just wouldn't get anything out of it. I'd read, I'd open my Bible and read it, but I'm going through such a tough time right now, I just wouldn't get anything out of it. That's an excuse. That's an excuse. And you know, excuses, excuses will keep you in the desert. Excuses will keep you in the wilderness. And excuses will lead to me and you giving up. 
Number three this morning, the soul pursuing. The soul pursuing. Verse number eight. My soul followeth hard after thee. David has been driven from the house of God. He's been driven by circumstances into the wilderness. Now his fellowship with God has suffered. He's recognized that he's not once where he's not where he once was, and he has a thirst to get that relationship back. He has a thirst to be as close to God as he once was. So what does he do? He doubles down on his walk with God. Even in the wilderness, he still prays and he still sings, even though he probably doesn't feel like it. He's beginning to get fed again. He's beginning to know how wonderful it feels to have the Holy Spirit teach you the Word of God while you read the Word of God. Now he's on his way back. He's on his way back, but I want you to see that he's not just on his way back. The Bible says, my soul followeth hard after thee. David is on his way back with zeal. David is on his way back with a purpose. Once again, David is on fire for God. If you're going to follow hard after somebody, then you've got to get where they are. You're going to have to follow in your in, you're going to have to follow in their footsteps. You know God is always in front of us, but don't forget that the savior walked this earth too. His footsteps are recorded for us. We're to walk in his footsteps if we want to follow him. His footsteps are recorded for us. And just like a father tells a child in the woods, step right step because I know it's safe. That's what God tells us. Jesus is looking back at, at us as he leads us out of the wilderness. And he says, step right step because I know it's safe for you. Verses 9 through 10. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. You know what David is realizing now? David is realizing that his enemy's time is coming to an end. That the circumstances that chased him into the wilderness would not last forever. Even though he can't see the way out, he knows there's a way out coming. You know what David is now? David is encouraged. David is encouraged. He's encouraged to pursue God until he gets back what he once lost. And he won't stop until he's accomplished this. Verse 11. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. David said, it worked. It worked, everybody. I've got it back. Concentrating on his personal devotions, doubling down on his time with God, saw him through the wilderness. Those early moments spent with God in the rising sun get built a relationship where David could say, Oh God, thou art my God. The late night spent with God, the late night hours spent with God gave David a confidence to say, I know God will uphold me. Even in the lonely wilderness, David is on the victory side. There was a Baptist preacher in the mid-1800s. His name was, uh, I mean, his name was Vernon Charlesworth. Vernon Charlesworth was... Uh, 
he preached, and he had a love for children. And this love for children led him to get with Charles Spurgeon, and they built an orphanage. And this orphanage was to abused and homeless boys and girls. Charles, Mr. Brother Charles Worth gave 46 of his life, 46 years of his life to those kids. Along the way, Brother Charles Worth also wrote many hymns. One day he was reading the Bible and he was reading Psalm 32, 7. And after reading that verse and that psalm, he penned, he penned a song that would stand the test of time. The words that he read that morning were, Thou art my hiding place, thou shalt preserve me from trouble, thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. The words that Brother Charlesworth wrote that day would actually become a favorite song of fishermen off the north coast of England. These fishermen, as they would come into the harbor and it was storming out, they could be heard from their ships from the harbor singing this song as they brought their ships in during a time of storm. And the words that, that, uh, that Brother Charles Worth, decades later, the saints of God still love to sing. And the words to that song go like this. The Lord's our rock, in Him we hide, a shelter in the time of storm. Secure whatever ill be tied, a shelter in the time of storm. A shade by day, defense by night, a shelter in the time of storm. No fears alarm, no foes affright, a shelter in the time of storm. O rock divine, O refuge dear, a shelter in the time of storm. Be thou our helper ever near, a shelter in the time of storm. O Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. O Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. Usually it's at this point David finishes the song and he sends it off to the choir director. David didn't do that this time. The superscript doesn't say where this song was sent to. It very well could be that David kept this song close at hand. It was a song, after all, about his personal devotions. It was a song that came from the quiet time between him and God. It was the song that sustained him when he was in the wilderness. And it's a song that we can use to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Now, this is the end of our series. And uh, the songs given to David tell quite a story. From a little shepherd boy in the hillside of Judea, glorying in the handiwork of God to the last moments of his life. The sweet psalmist of Israel, he experienced some of the greatest highs and some of the deepest valleys that a human has ever known. But through it all, he knew he learned how to walk with his king. The final psalm of David, the last time me and you are going to hear David speak in the Bible is Psalms 145. Now, whether it was the last song he wrote in his life, we don't know. But it is the last time me and you get to hear from David. The last verse, the last words of that song say this. My mouth shall speak the praises of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. What a fitting end to an honorable life. 
through all the battles, all the struggles, without and within, David's last testimony was to be one of praise to Jehovah. To his dying breath, he looked forward to stepping into glory where the praises of his Savior would never end. Praising God, blessing his name, and encouraging himself in the Lord.